0: Luke chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10 today, the title of today's message, Keep Calm and Have Faith. We're looking at a five-part series taken from the idea of a poster that was printed in 1939, just prior to uh, England's involvement in the war, the World War II, and there was a poster published that said, Keep Calm and Carry On. Well, that poster was lost for many, many years, and someone back in I think around in the early 2000s found it, and uh, ever since then, people have been using it for various things. Some good, some not so good, but hopefully all five of these messages will be used for good. Keep calm and have faith. Is faith ever the wrong decision? is it ever the wrong thing to have faith is there ever a time when we should throw faith to the side and actually move on and forward without faith is there ever a time when we should say well i know what the bible says but and then insert some other reason for why we shouldn't have faith should we ignore the word of god because of our circumstances Are there circumstances ever such that that we have to make things happen instead of trusting God to make things happen? Well, certainly God has given us abilities and skills, and God has given us opportunities, and we should take advantage of all of those. But the reality is that in all that we do and all that we can do, we must have and should always have faith. Here's what George Mueller said. He said the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. The beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. Today we're going to see a man who had a a tremendous amount of anxiety, but he also had true faith, and he was able to keep calm. And you could learn something from this man, and so could I. This is Luke chapter 7 and verse 1 as we keep calm and have faith. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued him uh, who was who was highly valued by him. When the centurion <clears throat> heard that about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus they, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation. And he is the one who built us, our synagogue. Let me just pause and say something right there. They pled on behalf of this centurion, first of all, because he loved their nation. You know, the Bible says concerning the Jews, I will bless them that bless you, and I will curse them who curse you. And our nation has been blessed for so many years, partly because of the same reason that this centurion was blessed because we have loved the nation of Israel. We have loved the Jews. It's important for this country and all free countries in the world to love Israel. You say, well, I don't agree with everything that Israel says or everything that Israel does. You know something? You wouldn't agree with everything that I say and everything that I do, but I hope you love me and I hope you support me. And it's important for us to realize that God's people are a chosen people, Those, the, the Jews are a chosen people, and they are God's people, and God has promised to bless every nation through them who loves them, just like God was asked to bless this centurion because he loves the Jew. Now let's go on in verse 6. And Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man, set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Then Jesus, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, turning to the crowd that followed and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant. Now here is an unusual story to be given in one of the gospels. And it's unusual because it's about a Roman soldier who believed Jesus for the healing of his servant. Normally, Jews had nothing good to say about the Romans, and the Romans had nothing good to say or do for the Jews, certainly those Romans who were in authority. But here is a centurion who is highly respected, respected. he is greatly loved. And the story models things that come to all of our lives. For instance, like the Roman centurion, all of us face upsetting situations. There's not a person in this room who hasn't faced or is facing an upsetting situation. You may not have come to church today dwelling on that issue or on an issue of life, but all of us have been upset in our lives and we deal with things that upset us. The burden for the centurion is, is proof enough that trouble comes no matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you are. Trouble is going to come to your life. Upsetting situations are going to come to your life. You do not have to be somebody special to be immune from troubling situations because everyone has them. Again, verse 2, Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. The note is that he was a centurion. Skipping down to verses 4 and 5, And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. Now, this was a really powerful man. Being a centurion, here's what it meant. It meant that he had the military command over a hundred Roman soldiers. A hundred Roman soldiers was a lot of soldiers. Let me give you a little perspective on it. In the U.S. military, a squad has nine or 10 soldiers, depending on the kind of squad that it is. Typically, it's commanded by a sergeant or a staff sergeant. A platoon is made up of two to four squads, about 16 to, uh, to 44 uh, soldiers. A platoon is led by a, a, a lieutenant and a non-commissioned officer, or an NCO, as the second in command a company then has 60 or so and up to as many as 200 soldiers now 3 to 5 platoons are form a company which is commanded by a captain or a major and again with a sergeant but this time a first sergeant as the the nco and depending on the kind of unit it is there may be different names for it it might be called a battery it may be called a troop then after that you have a battalion a brigade uh, a division corps and a division, a corps, and, and an army, and each is larger than the other. Now I said that to say this, the centurion was equal to someone who would command a, a company or a captain or a major. Now it would seem that in that day, the centurion, the day in which the centurion lived, that the soldiers made a lot more money than they do today, because a captain and a major doesn't make that kind of money that we're talking about but this centurion was very wealthy. He was so wealthy that he was able to build for the Jewish community their own synagogue. We think of Jews as always having their synagogues, but many of the Jewish synagogue or congregations met without a synagogue, without a central place of worship, and he was able to make for them a central place of worship. And the point is not what all he had done and not who he was and so forth. The point is that no matter who we may be, we're going to have upsetting situations in our lives. Everybody is going to have them. No matter what the need, we are those, the, our situation is still going to be in our lives. There are a lot of different kinds of, of needs and upsetting situations. Uh, as a pastor, most of my ministry aside from preaching and leading and so forth, as far as my pastoral ministry is concerned, most of it has come through trying to help people through upsetting situations in their lives. Sickness, financial needs, families in trouble, divorces, job situations, you name it. You name it. It's there. A lot of my ministry has been trying to navigate people through the various upsetting situations of their lives. And many, if not most of, of those and those of you who have contacted me, you start off this way. You say something like, I hate to bother you, or I hate to bother you with this. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, I hate to bother you with this. And I always appreciate it, but every time that it is said, I try to clarify, and I say, look, uh, this is what I'm called to do. This is what God has, has given me to do in this life, so this is why I'm doing it. You're not bothering me. This is a, a, a calling of every minister's life. So whether preaching or talking privately with you, my calling is to guide you to God's answer for your need. I was having coffee um, last week with someone who does public speaking, and this person said to me, I would like to get with you sometime and get some ideas on on how to more effectively do public speaking. And he said, I, I'm doing more and more public speaking. And and I do listen to you, and and I would like to get some ideas or some, some input from you. And here's what I said to him. I said, okay, I'm glad to meet with you anytime and talk about it. However, I can tell you one thing right now. If you will just try to see the need of the congregation to whom you're speaking, then what you say will be heard far better than any great speech that you might give. To meet a great need is more important than to give a great speech. To meet a great need is more important than to give a great sermon. I don't have to preach a great sermon for it to meet a great need, as long as I'm finding the need that you have in your life, or the need that's in the world around us, or the need that is, that, uh, that is troubling you right now. And as long as I speak to that need from the Word of God, it will be a great sermon in your mind or in your heart, because you say, that met a need that I, that I had. Someone said to me before the service started today, they said, I really like this series, this Keep Calm series. And the reason that they would really like this Keep Calm series is not because that I'm going to do such a great job preaching it, but because it meets such a great need in this time when we are all so upset. That being said, please know that there is a more direct route to meeting your need than to get it through me and get it from me. And there's nothing wrong with getting it from me or another minister. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, that's the right thing to do. It's not the wrong thing to do. But there's no, there is a, a better route. And here are the routes. here's what I'm talking about. When you hear about Jesus, send for him. That's the better route. Look at the centurion in verse 3. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. So when the centurion heard about Jesus, he did something that all of us should do. He sent for him. Now this is where a lot of opportunities to have a need met goes missing. This is where a lot of us fail to have our need met because we don't send for Jesus at the opportune time. Here's what James said. James said, you do not have because you do not ask. That's very simple, isn't it? You do not have because you do not ask. Isn't it true that most of us act as though we have never heard of Jesus? I'm talking about in our daily living and our walk of faith. We have extraordinary needs in our lives. We have upsetting issues, and yet Jesus somehow or another, uh, somehow or another never becomes part of the equation. We know that they're there, and we know that we need to have faith, but we really do not have Jesus as a part of the equation to calm that upsetting situation. Now I realize that in today's church there's a lot of new music introduced, and I love the the music that's that's introduced. Was that Ten Thousand Reasons that we sang today? I love that. I I, I love the lots of the new music. Some of them I'm, I'm not crazy about, but, but I love lots of the new music. But I'll tell you this, I love a lot of the old music too. Let me tell you a, a song that I remember that uh, many of you, especially those of you who've been around for a little while know, I remember a song that the title of it was, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. How many of you remember that song? What a friend we have in Jesus. And so we don't sing that today. I and mean, Larry, I'm not on you. I'm on, I'm, this is generic. <laughs> this is for Susie. Uh, <clears throat> we, don't, we don't sing that today because it's not relevant. We don't sing that today because, you know, it's, it's not what's relevant to, to the church of what's happening now it's not relevant. Oddly enough, though, there is a line in it that says, take it to the Lord in prayer. That's very relevant. And I think the point that I'm making here is that no matter who you are, no matter what you need, when you hear about Jesus, send for him. Take it to the Lord in prayer. We have every reason to believe that Jesus cares about our need. So all of us have upsetting situations, and all of us make what I'll call unworthy petitions. Now, the Bible tells us to come boldly to the throne of grace. I think different people may read that a different way. But all of us, the Bible says, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Here's the problem that I see. I see that sometimes we come boldly to the throne of grace thinking that means forget who he is and forget who you are. And I think that, that there is a, an issue with that. I, I believe that it is vital for us to come to Jesus from an unworthy position with our unworthy petitions. While the centurion was an important man, he understood that the power and the presence of Jesus was a matter of grace. It wasn't something that he deserved. It wasn't something that he had earned. He didn't say, look, because of who I am, and he's going to make a reference to who he is in a moment, but he didn't say, because of who I am, you need to come and take care of this situation for me. In fact, just the opposite is true. He felt unworthy to even be in the presence of Jesus, yet still he made a request of him. Verse 6, and Jesus went with them, and when he was not far off from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed, for I too am a man Set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When we come to Jesus with our unworthy petitions, we come with three understandings. First of all, we come knowing his proximity, and by that I mean how close he may be to us. The centurion knew when Jesus had come close to his house, when he came near, the Bible says. The centurion knew that he was close, when he knew that Jesus was near. Therein lies a secret to keeping calm and having faith, is to know the proximity of Jesus. It will help you to keep calm. It will help you to have faith when you know his proximity. First, here's what we should know. We should know that he never leaves us or forsakes us. Now, that's a promise. He never leaves us or forsakes us. And you say, but preacher, I've, I've been so low in my life that I felt like that he wasn't there. Oh, contraire, my friend. In fact, when you are at your, you are at your worst, he is at his closest Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to us in those most difficult times, in those hard times when you say, where is God? Why does this come to me? What's wrong with my life? Where is God? I'm, everything is so upsetting. You don't have to scream. He's right there. The Bible says, draw nigh unto God and he'll draw nigh unto you. That's a way to get close to the Lord. I'll tell you another way to get close to the Lord is to have an upsetting situation, a real need in your life. And you know what? God is right here. As I was preparing this message, and I typically, I try to prepare messages well in advance. For instance, I already have the last message of this series, which is going to take place uh, in in October. And, And so I try to keep well in advance. So this was several weeks ago that I was preparing this message. And as I was preparing it, I received a text on my <clears throat> iPhone from a friend of mine. And he asked if I could come to see him in the hospital. Now, this friend of mine has stage four cancer. And I, I took a break around noon and I went to the uh, Tallahassee Memorial Hospital, and I found his room, and there was a sign on the door that said, check the nurse's station before you go in. So I went to the nurse's station, and I said, I'm going to see this person, and, and I, I, uh, they said, okay, that, that will be fine. Actually, they actually called down, and, and they said, that'll be fine. And so I went in, and I spent time with my friend and, and his wife, and it was good to to be there with them, I have loved them for years. I have loved these people for years, such dear, dear friends. And he asked me something. He he uh, he had written it down, and what he asked me was to conduct his funeral. He had written it on paper, and and for two reasons: one, because he had a tracheotomy and it was very hard for him to speak. He had a tracheotomy so he could breathe, and it was very hard for him to, to speak. And the, and, and the second, when he handed me this, he, he held his throat, and in his whisper, he said, I wrote this down because I don't think I can say it. And so he handed it to me, and I read it. And it was words of faith and, and words of love from him to me and, and his family to, to my family, and and we have always truly, truly loved each other. And of course, my answer was, I don't want to do your funeral, but I will do your funeral. I don't want you to leave me. I don't want you to leave this earth. And before leaving, I prayed for him and with him and his, his wife and I prayed for his children, and it was easy to pray. And you know why? Because we were all brokenhearted. I didn't have to go back to the nurse's station and say, could you send the Lord in here? I didn't have to call anybody up and say, I, I need to pray for this man, but I need for the Lord to be near to us. And could you bring the Lord over? No, the Lord was already there, and the reason the Lord was there is because He is near to the broken-hearted. And so I asked God to cradle Him in His hands and to allow my friend to lean on His everlasting arms. And that was a very, very easy thing to do because it was clearly what God wanted to do in meeting that need. Are you in a time of, of trouble? Or is your soul in difficulty? not comparing your situation to anybody else's, but you can see how a man with stage four cancer to the point that he couldn't breathe without a tracheotomy and knowing that it's progressing every single day at a rather rapid pace. And many of you know this man. You can see how that is difficult. Well, let me ask you, are you in a difficulty? Well, not like that. That really doesn't matter. God loves you and God is close to you and God wants to meet your need, and God wants to come to where you are. He is near to you. He is there for you. You should know where he is and believe that he wants to help you in this time of need. Here's the second thing you need to know. You need to know his position. You know his proximity that he's near. You should know his position. Now this goes back to something that we've already mentioned. The centurion knew the position that Jesus held And he didn't presume to demand anything of him. In fact, he felt unworthy. He said, I know who you are, and I know the position you hold. When when you come to the Lord, when I come to the Lord, we should do so because of who he is, not because of who we are. The only reason that we can come to the Lord is because of who he is. Any grace or any mercy shown to us is based on who he is, not who we are. Anything that we would get from the Lord is unmerited. Everything that we have for him is be, uh, from him is because he forgave us our sin and he blessed us in spite of our sin. The other day, I heard on the radio who the richest rock star was in the world. I was surprised actually who the richest rock star was. I thought that it would be Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney is worth $800 million. That's a whole lot of money, you know, just for somebody that started out wanting to hold a girl's hand. that's pretty amazing really 800 million dollars. Do you know who the richest the richest rock star in the world is? Bono. Or Bono, however you say it. He is the richest. He is worth 1 billion with a B dollars. Now, I hope that both of them realizes who really owns everything. You say, well, they should. They got that kind of money. They ought to know they don't deserve that themselves. Well, what do you deserve? What do I deserve? This is one of the mysteries about people and their decisions about God's work and how to support God's work and how to be a part of God's work. Somehow, born-again believers come to a position of thinking that they bless God with their money instead of acknowledging that God has blessed them with his money. That's a big difference in thought there. It's a big difference. You and me and, and all of us would be a lot better off to humble ourselves and acknowledge that he is the giver of all things. Loosening our grip on the stuff of life helps us to acknowledge His position in our lives. And could I just say this to you? The richest and most powerful and talented people on the earth are only a breath away from whatever eternity holds for them. I'm calling on my 60s roots right now, but I heard this week, that this is the anniversary week of the death of Jimi Hendrix. I think, I don't know, it may have been 1970 that he died. Jimi Hendrix in his day, and I, I, we can talk about the drugs and all that, and, and all that was a, a real problem. But Jimi Hendrix in his day was the, the standalone greatest guitar player ever. Just Phenomenal just unbelievable he invented styles of guitar playing he was really really something and on the the day that he died all that he had that had been a gift whether he used it right or not had been a gift all that he had went away and the casket didn't care that he could shred a guitar it didn't bother the casket a bit caskets don't care who you were caskets don't care what you had caskets don't care what you could do it's a strange thing a little power and privilege has a way of making people who are breathing god's air and walking on god's earth and enjoying god's bounty become presumptuous and somehow another think that they are really something special, but it is all of God. If you live, give, aspire, and desire, and know the position of God in your life and, and all of the universe, you are doing something that most people are not doing. Job said this about the position of the Almighty in Job twenty one twenty two. "'Will any teach God knowledge?' seeing that he judges those who are on high when we bring our unworthy petitions to him we should know his proximity that he is near we should know his position that he is God and we should know his power that he is able the centurion knew who he was and knowing That Jesus was much greater than he. He knew that anything that Jesus said to be done would happen. We'll not reread verses. Well, I will reread them. Uh, The latter part of verse 7. But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers unto me. And I say to one go and he goes and to another come and he comes. And to my servant do this and he does it. He knew, even though he didn't know Jesus, he had only heard of Jesus, and he heard that Jesus was nearby, he believed in the power of Jesus. A lost man believed in the power of Jesus. I think that's odd in that a lost person, or at least to that point lost, believed in the power of Jesus, but people who are saved by his grace have a hard time with it. Like the centurion, all of us face upsetting situations and we make our unworthy petitions. Here's my question Will Jesus see in us what he saw in the centurion, and that is unequaled faith? Luke chapter 7 and verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had sent, had been sent, returned to the house, they found the servant well. Now here it is. Keep calm and have faith. Let's go back to whatever it is that's unsettling your life right now. Let's go back to whatever it is that is is really, I mean, and you know what it is. You don't have to reach very far. You don't have to say, hmm, I wonder what it is in my life. You already know. It's there. It's there. It's been talking to you the entire time during the service. For the centurion, it was the illness of someone close to him. For you, it may be in your marriage or in your body or in your career. It, it, you may have a child who is breaking uh, your heart. There are hundreds of people uh, here today and, and hundreds that are watching by way of live streaming. And all of us have issues. In the healing of the centurion servant, I want to see three truths and then we're finished first of all. I want you to see the power of faith. Matthew 17 20. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Would you be willing to say, now let's let's just, I'm going to ask this. Remember, if you have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you're able to say to the mountain, be moved, cast in the sea, and and it's gone. Would you be willing to say that you have never met anyone with that kind of faith? I've not met anyone with that kind of faith. All the mountains are in place that I know of. Now, I've known some people who are truly people of faith, but there aren't many mountain movers. There aren't many people who have that kind of faith of faith. My question is in whether this statement is about people who have their own faith, or is it about the person of faith? The power of faith is to understand what faith really is. Faith isn't a muscle. We don't do faith push-ups. We don't do faith bench presses. We don't do faith curls. You, you, You say, well, I went to the faith gym today and I I gave my faith a good workout. You don't build up a faith muscle. It's not a muscle because faith is not a work. What then is faith? Well, faith is a key. Faith is a key that unlocks a door. That's what faith is. For some, the key was lost. You can't find it. So you can't get in. You ever lost the keys to your car? You ever lost the key to your house? You ever lost the key to your office? Oh, man, I can't get in. And you look here and there and you look everywhere and you you can't get in. Why? Because you can't find the key that unlocks the door. For some, it's lost. For some, it's buried under a pile of other solutions you have a lot of solutions in your life, faith not being one of them. Well, it started out to be, but it's, it's on the bottom of the pile. And then you added to that some worry. And then you added to that some, uh, some manipulation. And then you added to that this. And then you added to that that. And somebody will say, well, have faith. And you say, well, I, where did I put that key? Well, it's under this pile of other solutions that I have. I, I go to them more often than I go uh, to the Lord. The key of faith should remain available. It should remain in our hands. It should remain in a, a special place. I can show you, over there are my keys. I, I've got one of those key chains that comes in two parts. One part is for home, one part is for work. I can show you keys and I can tell you what keys unlock the door. I've got one key that's got, got um, GM on it. That key means Grand Master. And I can come here with that one key and I can get in all kinds of buildings here and all kinds of trouble with that one key. I've got another key for my house. I've got all kinds of of keys and those keys unlock doors that are otherwise locked to me. So does faith unlock a door that's otherwise locked to you if you have believed on the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you have that key. you, You may not choose to use it, but you have it. And if you let him, if you let him, Jesus will move your mountain for you and give you victory in the crossing. This brings us to the final thing. We have seen the power of faith, the person of faith. Look with me, if you will, at the product of faith. What is the product of faith? It's very simple. Something happens. The door opens. (laughs) The door opens and something happens. First thing happens if you're sitting in the darkness and you put the key of faith in and open the door, light comes in. You begin to see things differently. For some, the key is is, uh, to do something else for your life, to give you some understanding or whatever. For the centurion, his servant was healed. What is it for you? What is in your life today that faith would calm down? I mean, you're tore up and faith would calm down. You've got to find that faith key and unlock the door and let Jesus be your answer. Let Jesus meet that need. The need that you cannot meet he can meet, and it's a matter of unlocking the door. And all you have to do is to find that key of faith that you found when you trusted Christ as your Savior, insert it once again into the door of your life and say, Lord, I am unlocking the faith. Please do your work in my life. You'll work with confidence. You'll make decisions with confidence. You'll parent with confidence. You'll make financial moves with confidence. And and all areas uh, can be and will be positively affected in your life when you just keep calm and have faith. Let me close with this. Corey Ten Boom, many of you know that famous name. She said this one time, Somebody said to me, when I worry, I go to the mirror and say to myself in the mirror, this tremendous thing which is worrying me is beyond a solution. It is especially too hard for Jesus Christ to handle. Just too hard for him. She went on and said, after I say that, I smile and I'm ashamed. The centurion said it like this, but say the word and let my servant be healed.